you are listening to the Julie Pendleton Interviews. Uh, my next guest is Mike McCoy, and he's the author of Newcastle Old and New, A Story of Newcastle. Welcome, Mike. Thanks for uh, inviting me along, Julie. Pleasure to come along. So, I want you to tell me all about your book. Ooh, how long have we got? <laughs> okay, fair enough, I'll, I'll go on it. This book, Newcastle Old and New, um, started life... Is a it started life in started life in uh, something like nineteen seventy seven. It's um, my ch- childhood. I suffered from dyslexia, otherwise, um, but at the time it wasn't diagnosed and it was just classed as being thick and stupid. So I failed a lot of my exams at school. And one project I was given the chance to have free reign on was to do something local, something to do in Newcastle, and this contributed towards my final exam. But um, what started this off? Well, what started this off was um, I was struggling for ideas. I was, um, and my my uh, my dad had a tin of photographs, and um, and I climbed up this big, huge wardrobe and found this tin of photographs. And there was a small photograph of something called the Northeast Coast Exhibition, up, taken in 1929. Mm-hmm. Well, when I asked around, nobody knew anything about it, mm-hmm. and oh, and it got me curious. And I'm by trade a nosy person, so I went to the library and got more research on it. Is that why we've got remnants of the exhibition in Exhibition Park now? That's right. Yes, that's where the, it all started, didn't it? Well, the Palace of Arts. And uh, the um, Palace of Arts that's there is the last building that, that there mm-hmm. is. But there was a lot more um, at the time, mm-hmm. but it all got destroyed, didn't it? That's right. There was um, dozens of buildings. Um, this was this built. This was um, effectively a, a, tra- a trade park where they, they was to advertise the great and the good of the British Empire, because at the time. Uh, back in the twenties, they predicted that the shipyards and the um, the coal uh, the coal industry would uh, would would uh, would clock down. Mm-hmm. So they thought by getting this exhibition of all the engineering works, Parsons and all that sort mm-hmm. of thing around the northeast. Because we're in the middle of a massive depression, of course, weren't we? You know, had the Jarrah right. March, March in nineteen twenty six. Yeah. So this was nineteen twenty nine. So um, this is why they did it to publicise the northeast and try and get some trade. That's right, and you've mm-hmm. done your research. More than I did. Anyway, no, seriously, uh, no, it's uh, very true. And what was um, when we, when this book, it, the the story was originally written, um, it, 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 I talked about all the buildings and how they were all destroyed about six months later, which is a shame because they were fabulous buildings. Mm-hmm. It wasn't until recently, uh, when I rewrote the book, we found out that there was something like four point seven million visitors to this mm-hmm. exhibition, which is not bad considering the fact Newcastle is a small city. So then it must have been a right little backwater. So yeah. to have four point seven million visitors. And and for every million visitor, a gold watch was handed out. No, how so, many did they hand out then? Well, the um, we, we reckon that must well, that there must be about four bo- four gold watches in a shoebox somewhere oh. in the northeast, the UK, the world, somewhere. Where Someone is they? sitting on these gold watches. Mm-hmm. And it would be nice to see again, wouldn't they? I would love to see. I would love. I'd love to get in touch with the people who've got them and get the stories from them. Oh yes. Mm-hmm. So generally speaking, this was a massive, massive success. They've been putting Newcastle onto the map, mm-hmm. um, yeah. and then the knocked the buildings down six months later, and all that's left is the Palace of Arts. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but the book is um, it's got nineteen stories of Newcastle in it. So give us an example of some of the stories that you've yeah. put in the book. Well, the original when I originally wrote it as a, a history project uh, back um, back in nineteen seventy seven, um, I, I I started late. 
with this um, the, um, the North East Coast exhibition. Then I, I put in uh, stories to do with the bridges, um, um, the central station, uh, the two hospitals, Holy Jesus and such like. And uh, it, it quickly amassed into 20 stories. Uh, put forward to the exam board and there was nobody more surprised than me that I actually got an O-level out of it in my one and only O-level that I left school with. Well, that yeah. was very well done. Yeah. But the thing was, it was in English, wasn't it, of all things, to be dyslexic? And yeah. then get it in English all level. Well, it, it, history. The um, so with the uh, I, I left school uh, with this, and it was the, the only qualification I had, and I, str- mm-hmm. I struggled for the past um, uh, twenty odd years with various redundancies and so on. But this book mm-hmm. laid buried in a box. Yeah, uh, for yeah. 35 years until uh-huh. my wife un- unearthed it uh, uh-huh. in one of those mad um, we move things around until we lose them type thing yeah. uh, to, yeah. to tidy up and so, so what are their stories mm-hmm. are in the book then the mm-hmm. books about the bridges yeah. do, you, do you have a story about this um, the station hotel at all that's a very old hotel in Newcastle or what other stories are there well we've got an interesting story that's in there uh, which we we put in quite recently when we rewrote the book in 2016 mm-hmm. we um, uh, the Queen uh, sorry the Victoria Queen Victoria came to Newcastle in 1850 mm-hmm. to open the station hotel and and the station of course yeah and um, the, the, the the story that everybody knows is the fact that she uh, she was handed the bill by the the manager and uh, of course, that didn't go down too well. We're not sure if he was executed or hung or whatever, but it was. That's the story that everybody found out. But I later found out, past two story to that one, that when she died in the early 1900s, she bequeathed an item of clothing to every establishment that bore her name. So if that's bizarre enough, the RVI Royal Victorian Infirmary yes. got a pair of knickers. No. True. I wonder where they are now. <laughs> They've been walking away. <laughs> but apparently yeah. that just says a lot, her, her attitude toward Newcastle at the time. Well, possibly. Yeah. The, uh, the great opera singer Caruso, he stayed at the Station Hotel as well. There's a very famous photograph of him standing mm-hmm. outside. Have you ever seen that one? No, I haven't. Oh, well, I'll have to send it to you. All right. right, we're going to play a song now. Carly Simon, Nobody Does It Better, because I think <laughs> you've done very well. Thank you very much. Well, I'm... I've got Mike McCoy here, author of Newcastle Old and New, the story of Newcastle. So why did that last song mean a lot to you? <laughs> the um, One of the things which, if uh, when we talk, uh, I talk about dyslexia, I talk about the challenges I've had through life, and certain things, like I like words of wisdom, certain things that are powerful, um, c- certain things that have a meaning to give you that get up and go. And that's one of my earliest, uh, earliest motivational type type songs ah right well, that's, that's the, the main reason behind it uh-huh. so your school life it was pretty difficult and you spent a lot of time skiving apparently uh, did, I, did I say that in yes, the script you did. Did. yes oh, you did right. uh-huh. I'd love to say it was a typo but it's not <laughs> well basically what it is, is uh, I was in a small Catholic school St Thomas More up in, uh, in Kenton uh-huh. uh, in the shadow of the great, uh, the great and almighty Kenton Secondary and um the uh, the the thing was there was classes of thirty. This is back in the seventies, and um, because I um, well, the first problem I had was that they would give you boring books to read, and I didn't realise at the time, but black print against a white background caused my eyes to go tired. Well, actually, for dyslexic, mm-hmm. the, the more yellow the page, the easier it is for them to be able to see it. Mm-hmm. And some children are given glasses or contact lenses mm-hmm. with a bit of yellow on them. Yes. And it makes everything unscramble. Mm-hmm. So you could tell this at a young age. It wasn't suiting you at all. You couldn't make sense of it, could you? 
That's right. And uh, what would happen was I would fall asleep reading this book. But of course, the thing is, is they immediately thought, well, he's lazy. So not only did they drag me out of the class, they would belt me or whack me or uh, I'd get a strap. Then they sent me back into the class, to the back of the class with the same book, and I'd fall asleep again. So you'd have like a, a, a vicious circle. And was the corporal punishment in this school those days? Oh yes, yes, yes. Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, it's uh, yes, it's uh, that's a, an age a long time ago. Mm-hmm. It? Um, so yeah, um, so. I had a lot of ambitions. I had. I wanted to be an architect. I couldn't. Uh, couldn't get through the technical drawing exam. I, I wanted to go into electronic engineering, all sorts of things. But because I couldn't start the exam, I would have a mental block. Um, virtually all my exams, I failed. Mm-hmm. So when we came to doing this history project, um, they would give you half an hour off each week. Um, this is to do the the Newcastle project. Um, they give you um, half a day off each week to uh, research. Well, because I was, I had no peers. My dad was seriously ill at the time. Um, I had no role models. I, I I sort of went off the track a little bit and just skied a little bit mm-hmm. until two two or three months in. I thought I've got to do something, and this is when this photograph to do with the North East Coast exhibition gave me that. Um, uh, that inspiration to go and write mm-hmm. this book. Yeah. So your teachers didn't recognise the dyslexia no. at all, did they? No. I mean, I know my son um, is dyslexic and we had to find out things and they would assess them every year mm-hmm. and they would say, one year, there's been a massive improvement. Mm-hmm. We can't understand it. Mm-hmm. We used to do something called a whisk test. Mm-hmm. And I said, well, did it surprise you that I've changed his diet and I'm supplementing him with fish oil? Mm-hmm. No. And I said, so you know about this, that diet mm-hmm. and um, certain supplements can make a difference. Yes. Well, why don't you tell people we're not allowed? Really? Yeah. So I knew the thing about the, the page being more yellow because mm-hmm. we took him to see um, a specialist in Nottingham. She was an ex-headmistress and um, she gave him the same book, all different age books. Mm-hmm. So the pale one was the new one with the white sheets and then... As the book got older, she got him to read a page from each one. And then she said the one that was the the darkest, like the yellow, was the one he could read. And he couldn't read the white one, like you're saying. Mm -hmm. Um, He also um, got a special pen to write with as Mm -hmm. well. That made a difference to his handwriting. But it was actually the diet that changed things for him. Really? Mm -hmm. Wow. That's interesting. Yeah, he's milk intolerant. So... And the fish oil. Do you take fish oil at all? Uh, yes, I do. Um, Have you noticed a difference then? Well, that's more of the fact that I'm at that age where my my my, my limbs are getting a little bit uh, uh, tender uh-huh. uh, and stiff and so on. But yes, I do make a difference. Now, it's interesting you say that because my uh-huh. wife, Alison, is dyslexic. Uh-huh. And she's been milk intolerant since a, since a baby. And it's only been over the recent years that she's been taking soya milk. Ah, well, and these things dis- help. And she's, as I say, she's dyslexic as well. Uh-huh. That's so, yes, there's quite a few things that um, mm. sort of have a factor. Maturity as well. Mm-hmm. I think children who are younger at school, when they have to do with their learning and they've mm-hmm. got these problems, they can't learn. Mm-hmm. They can't take on board what's... And it, it's not keyed up to them, um, mm-hmm. the school environment, really, unless there's adjustments made. And so this is why, well, Richard Branson is a a prime example of a dyslexic. Mm -hmm. He said, it's like asking a fish to climb a tree Mm -hmm. because you're just out of your your comfort zone, aren't you? And um, and as the brain matures as well, you can absorb um, information in different ways 
to the way it's being given to you in the schoolroom. So um, it all makes a difference. You start to have success in later life, as you have. I have. So here's another motivational song. M people search for the hero. So this means a lot to you, doesn't it? Yes, it does. And I've got Mike McCoy here, the author of Newcastle Old and New. And he's been telling us about his school days, suffering from dyslexia, how he managed. And when you got into the working um, environment, you had several careers and you were made redundant several times as well. So can you tell us a little bit about that and how you overcome all of that? It's, oh, again, how long we got. We, um, I left school at 16. Um, I couldn't wait to get out of there because it was a tough time for didn't me. Didn't suit you, did it? No, really? it didn't. And um, mm-hmm. I went into what we call YTSs, and there were youth training courses at the time. Mm-hmm. Um, I remember uh, my very first job um, was repairing Hoover's uh, for an electrical shop in G- on Gossip High Street. Mm-hmm. Um, then from there, I went on to another dead-end job. I was an assistant trainee used car salesman without a driving license at Hoppers down the road. Oh, <laughs> could you drive? No, no. Yeah. Oh dear. <laughs> I, I obviously discovered at an early age I've got a gift, got the gift of the gap. Oh, I think you have that. That's huh? what I've got written down here on my notes. <laughs> Has the gift of the gap. Huh? <laughs> I could tell that from your um, synopsis that you'd sent me over, huh? and that's what's got you through, hasn't it? Really. It has. It mm-hmm. has. It's um, well. The um, for, my first career was working in menswear, uh-huh. and for those who you enjoyed are, that, though, didn't you? I did, and uh, with my first menswear job, uh, depending on those of a certain age. Was John Collius. John Collius, John, John Collius, Collius, the, the window, window to watch. Yes, moving on. <laughs> <laughs> that lasted six months. I've got a, um, we, um, and, but it, that got me into working for a, um, a musical shop top of Northumberland Street called Alderson and Brentnell. They're a very old company selling uh, vac- um, sorry, sorry, violins and uh, musical instruments and um, pianos and all that sort of thing. Then they opened a music department with uh, stereos and such like. And did you enjoy working there? No, it was no. a very, very boring, drab company. But uh-huh. across the road was Foster Menswear, which was on the corner of um, uh, was at the top of the Fumlin Street, uh-huh. where um, Newcastle Building Society is now. Mm-hmm. And um, I, uh, I got, I, I was encouraged to go along there for an interview, and uh, I enjoyed it. And, I, and uh, but there were plenty of jobs those days. You could flip about, couldn't you? Yes, you could. You yeah. could literally hop across, across the road and get a yeah. job. Uh-huh. Um, but what I loved about menswear, I, I think, it's the um, the fact that you could create. Um, you could create something out of nothing. What I mean by that is if you take an empty room, stick a load of stands in it, you've got yourself a shop. Mm-hmm. Then you can move the stock around and people are easily encouraged by the fact that you've got, you've got new stock. And I'm talking to people and what I love doing is I just love making friends with people, yes, uh, getting I'm them to the laugh, same. getting them a lot in chinwag. Yeah, and yeah. Uh, me and Alison, we've got a bizarre ambition that if, we're, if, we, if we can achieve a smile on someone's face by the end of the day, we've done some good in this life. Just one smile? Oh, uh, well, there's a, f- <laughs> so a few... And a few hugs along the way, but <laughs> the lawsuits come in later. Yeah. But, um, so yeah, that was my first career work for Foster Menswear. Mm-hmm. Um, they moved the branch. Uh, I had a chance to cl- uh, officially close the branch. Then I was moved to um, Hell Hole in Washington Galleries and I turned that one around then then pr- promotion with um promotion with with shops tends to be moving away from the area uh-huh. so I had a chance between the Bullring in Birmingham mm-hmm. or Falkirk in, in Scotland so well, well I've been in Birmingham uh, I thought well let's go the other way and I discovered I was the only Englishman in Scotland and that was uh, it took a little while to <laughs> turn around but <laughs> the funny thing was um being stuck in this hotel I thought what the he- heaven's sake 
I realise, oh God, what's the language? Uh, what what on earth have I done? And then when I, when this Scotsman came across and he said that, uh, oh, who are you? And I said, I'm Mike, I'm from Newcastle. He said, oh, it's Scotsman with the brains bashed in. I thought, I'm not having this. I says, uh, well, as far as we're concerned, it's Scotsman in Newcastle called Geordie's with the brains bashed in. He laughed his socks off and then bought me a beer. And uh-huh. then I discovered humour is the most important thing for when you're moving around the area. Right. Across co- 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 uh, as many bridge, bridges mm-hmm. to survive. Yeah, yeah. So then you went into the fuels industry as well, didn't you? And then you came back to Newcastle in 1998. And then you were re- made redundant again for the fifth time in 2003. Fifth time? Sixth time? Yes. And there was count after that. But yes, um, I was uh, working for a fuel company in Scotland. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, I was going through a tough time with my first wife, and we, we would decide to move back to Newcastle. Mm-hmm. After all, I'd been in Scotland 14 years, and I'd done everything I felt I could do. Um, so we moved back to Newcastle, and as I was moving back, we got, I got headhunted by this company in Yorkshire, and they wanted a, a sales manager to cover the northeast area. And it was very successful, and it went very well. But then, uh, around about the millennium... Um, what I call the the telesales revolution kicked in, where everybody had to have a telesales company uh-huh. um, out. And uh, so, what this Yorkshire company decided to do was get rid of all the reps and put telesales into Yorkshire, into the the main office in Bramham and Yorkshire. Uh-huh. So, as I say, for about the, uh, the fifth or the sixth time, I was made redundant. And when I was into my forties, I thought, basically, I could see the writing on the walls that no person wanted me. So I thought at that time, I'm, I'm going with the knowledge I've got, I'm going to settle my own business. And I settled a fuel car business. Ah, but then you were made redundant and you ended up at the benefits office, didn't you? And that's when they put you on the course. Well, this is it. This when the uh, uh, for a long time I'd had this. Uh, by this time, I'd I'd gone for a divorce with my first wife. But uh, for many, many years, ten, twenty years, I had this ambition to go uh, be self-employed, uh-huh. and she wasn't keen on the idea. Um, but so when I went to this benefits office and I says, "Look, um, <laughs> I, I don't know if I, where I can go with this, but I've got this mm-hmm. ambition to go into um, uh, set on my own business, but." The thing was, this is the interesting thing. They gave us one of those simple, simple booklets, about five or six or seven or eight pages long, mm-hmm. uh, with a, complete with them guides that says if you go from one, fill in two, fill in three, jump the five, jump mm-hmm. the six, and so on and so on. Well, I was almost in tears and I couldn't. You fill it, fill in. it in. I couldn't yeah. fill it in, and I went to the benefits office virtually in tears. I, said, I can't fill it in. I think, and, and I, by that time, I had my long-term friend uh, Alison, who later became my wife. Um, I know she had a dyslexic problem, and I recognised some of the symptoms. And I said to them, "I said, I, I don't know. I, I, does dyslexia mean anything to you?" And that was the first time I heard about it, and she recognised it, and she moved all her appointments aside, and she spent a full hour with me, hour and a half. This was the benefits filling agency. the forms in. So you know, I've got a lot of things to say against the benefits office, but I've got some really good things. You well, find they changed the right your life, didn't they? Well, she got me onto a program that was run by a, com- a company called Indis, and it was a six-month program on how to settle in business, uh-huh. and that catapulted into me my own independent world. Fantastic. And that, that was the start of McCoy Energy, a commercial fuel card business. Oh, I see. Well, we're going to play um, Kiala Settle now from The Greatest Showman, This Is Me. So that was another inspirational song, wasn't it? Yes. Thank mm-hmm. you very much. You're all about inspirational songs. It's, it, it, it's when you've had the, da- the bad days and the bad phone calls and it's and the struggles. You know, it's chucking it down the rain and it's dark and so on. And you need things that pick you up. 
mm-hmm. give you that. Yeah, go for it. Yeah. Kick up the backside. Yeah. And I'm 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 very self motivated. When I was doing the sales, the repping in the northeast, you have to be self motivating. Yes. When you run your own business, you have to be self motivated. Yeah. When the brain says you're a failure. Uh-huh. And because when I was told, as, as a t- my teachers told me I would be thick and, thick and stupid and I would be a failure and I'd amount to nothing, well, I believed them. And well, it took me it. until about uh, until my fi- uh, early 50s that I believed, still believed them. That's yeah. the trouble. Well, you're still fighting against it, aren't you, yeah. to prove them wrong? Yes. But you're not a failure now and you've got a very successful business. So tell me about your business and oh. the award that you won in February. In, in 2009, um, about 10 years ago, me, me and my, uh, Alice and my wife now, uh, we, we met and uh, uh, got together. But a, a couple of years before then, she worked in uh, care homes and a, f- a couple of friends of mine had a pat-testing business. And because they won, won a load of contracts, they thought that it would be a good idea to have a female pat-tester in the care homes. Well, mm-hmm. sadly, a couple of years later, um, they, 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 they hit on hard times. One of the partners died of cancer. But... We, um, Alison did a, a couple of years of work with them, and when they, uh, Alison was made redundant, uh, she, they had this yellow van. Um, and if you ever go to the website, you see this yellow van with a scary character on the side. Uh-huh. Um, it's a yellow van, and uh, Alison uh, drove it all the time. And we thought, you know, male, a, a female pat tester in a male world, I've got to go up with this. So, where I had McCoy Energy, uh, we, we, we came up with a company called McCoy Energy Portal Appliance Testing. And so for short, it's called... MEPAT. MEPAT. And it's, it, PAT testing is one of those grey areas which now is more recognised, but we were fighting against the, uh, fighting against the tide. And mm. slowly and surely, we've built up a reputation, we've built up... We're, we're, we're a pair of daft numpties. Um, no, I, you're not. I, you're I, putting I, yourself down again. Well, I charm them in coming in, and Alison charms them when she goes in there and does the PAT test. Then we get customers... Sounds right like now. you're good at your job, actually. Well... We're doing all right, and we've we've built up this business, and now ten years later, uh, in February, we've got sixty-five testimonials, we've got loads of really big clients, uh-huh. and we got an award. We got an award at the Marriott. Is my voice getting higher? Yes, it is. Excitement. My, yes, it is. We got the award for the best tradesperson uh, in Tyne and Weir, twenty nineteen. After 10 years in business, I feel like I've, uh, I've had calls from Pat Tester saying that you've, uh, you've, you've made our, our business seem uh, uh, kosher. Um, uh, and it, it's just, it's made us, in fact, somebody turned around to me. In fact, it was a, a person who took, took an award before us. They turned around and says, do you know why it is? We've ran our business our way. We've run it against the industry norm, and we did it the way we wanted to do best. We thought it was doing all right, and we weren't sure if we were doing it the right way. But the award proved that we were. Oh, yes. I couldn't put that any better. To say we're excited is an understatement. So we've come to the end of your life story so far. I think there's still more to come. It's a very inspirational tale. So would you say that self-belief and motivation and the ability to talk, the gift of the gab has got you through yes most definitely and the fact that you're dyslexic you've written a book and not many people manage that even if they're not dyslexic this uh, this we we, we 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 launched this book in 2016 i know we've not got a lot of time but in 2016 we got this we got 10 boxes in the living room and it was like christmas we opened this box it was boxes of books boxes of books boxes of books 200 books we raised the money to get these printed and that was the minimum amount you could uh, get them printed and they've and all the, gone 
and they're all gone. And last year, uh, in summer last year, they sold out. So I reprinted it, got in contact with a local photographer called Darren Turner, who gave me a load of interesting photographs, and we, re-spru- we spruced up the book, and it's selling again. Fantastic. So we've opened, we've we've created something because the book is not only selling up and down the country, but it's gone out to New Zealand, Australia, Canada, throughout Europe, um, and it's just fantastic. And where can we buy this book? It's uh, I've got a website which has got PayPal on it, which is Newcastle Order New. Uh, uk. it's back on sale in the central library and i'll be uh, back in touch with the sage to get back on sale there oh and the sage as well yeah. so how much is it it's uh retail 20 25 actually i'm selling it for 20 mm-hmm. um, but it's a big book isn't it it is it's 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 it, in, instantly if it means anything to any anybody because i'm dyslexic i like to homer 12 which is a large print but i created something which i didn't realize because i couldn't reproduce the black and white pictures of old um, we uh, we put in colour pictures. All right. And so it, it basically what it is is now an A4 pa- book. It's a- A4 size. A4 yes, it's size. Huge. It's uh, 140 odd pages. Um, it's in a substantial print, and it's it's be- it, it's turned out to be ideal for people who have uh, who uh, of l- l- late years, shall we say, mature years. And uh, it's yes, easy it's read. like a creamy coloured paper yeah. as well, isn't yeah. it? So that anyone who is dyslexic will find it an easy read. Yes, it is. Now you've dedicated this book to your mum, Doris Louisa. So shall we give Doris Louisa the last word? We will. I struggle with, um, forgive the lump in the throat, I struggle with dyslexia or or being classed as stupid and thick in my time. And in my young life, my, my mother was obviously concerned that there was this cause of my grief. And she turned around to me, she says, Remember this, please and thank you costs you nothing, but it's worth its weight in gold. And because I've been lacking in academic skills, I've been able to communicate with people. And for all the businesses and all the companies and all the people I've met, it's important to put a smile on their face and just to be nice and polite and kind. Because what you put out will, will come back. 